Karen for that beautiful song. It's so good to hear you singing again. And uh, if you will, take your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation and chapter 7. Revelation and chapter 7. <clears throat> well, I'm real interested in this sermon that I haven't preached yet. Uh, Richard kind of set me up for a good sermon, so I just pray we can um, deliver <laughs> today. Um, Linda and I want to extend to each of you a happy Thanksgiving. And uh, we appreciate so much the fellowship of this church, um, your prayers for us, the friendship of this church, and uh, we thank you so much that we can serve together our Lord uh, in this season. And so happy Thanksgiving to all of you, but please be safe. Uh, please don't overeat. Uh, if you do, I promise I will not preach on gluttony the Sunday after Thanksgiving. <laughs> I promise that. And, but if you do overdo it, um, just remember all things in moderation. And so um, please enjoy your time together with family and with friends. Now, indescribable is certainly a word that could be used of this book of the Bible as John tries to describe for us who God is. And to see and experience the activity of God in our life in times of trial and peril. That's really what Revelation is all about. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, the preacher would preach on this book, and I'd go home just frightened, you know, uh, all the images that are in here. And um, I often wondered, was God trying to scare me into heaven? And uh, the truth is, God cannot scare any of us into heaven. Uh, if, if he could... Or if he would, then uh, he would have been successful already, having read this book. But this book was not written to scare you. This book was written to bring comfort. Um, comfort in a time of life when we're asking the hard questions of God. Hard questions like, why am I experiencing uh, grief? Why am I experiencing a feeling of abandonment? Uh, why am I having to go through uh, the misery that I'm going through? Why can't it be better? If I believe in a good and a just God, uh, why doesn't he uh, eradicate the evil from this world? Why do we have to deal with evil? Uh, why does evil exist? Will there be an end to evil? And uh, on and on go the hard questions uh, of, of this book. Now, in the book of Revelation, we have to understand that the term itself, apocalypse, is a kind of literature that we find in our Bible. And the audience of this book understood the symbols, the colors, the codes of colors, and so forth that are in this book. Uh, you have any idea why they understood it? Simply because they knew their Bible. They knew their Bible. Um, they knew the book of Zechariah. They knew the book of Daniel. They knew the apocalyptic literature of the Old Testament. They remembered the plagues in Egypt. 
uh, all of these that occur in the book of Revelation can be found in their Old Testament Bible. And so it's not strange to them. It's kind of strange to us because we're not as familiar with our Bible as the audience of Re Revelation was. And so we struggle with these symbols, we struggle with these codes and colors because we're not as familiar as we should be. Which leads me to say this. The one thing that is missing in our churches today is called discipleship. We have spent so much so many years as Baptists trying to grow the kingdom of God through programs. And we've had some good programs. We've had programs for students. We've had programs of recreation. We've brought in singers. We've brought in entertainers. We've tried every way in the world to grow the church and to bring in a crowd through the programs, hoping that it will attract someone and they will hang on to their faith in the Lord until the end. But what we've discovered is, when the novelty wears off, so does their attendance. Does that make sense? When the novelty wears off, so does their attendance. And, and, and you begin to wonder, um, where are all the disciples, where are the faithful ones of the Lord Jesus Christ? Where are the faithful believers who are willing to go through and experience the difficult times of life, uh, where are they? Uh, we often look to our families that uh, we have inherited so much from, uh, our grandparents and our parents who built the churches, uh, attended faithfully, and now they're gone, and it's up to us to keep the work of the Lord going. And we look around, and we find it so hard to find all the Baptists that are on the roll. If all the Baptists showed up that are on the roll of this church, we couldn't hold them on Sunday morning. And uh, so there's a thinning out, a thinning out, if you will, of attendance and uh, worship and giving. And so even in Southern Baptist circles, uh, we used to have 5,000 Southern Baptist missionaries on the mission field. We have reduced that now to 3,500. 3,500. We say, well, it's so, it's so expensive to keep a missionary on the mission field, on the foreign mission field, uh, that we just can't afford it anymore. Well, folks, if all the Baptists would show up on Sunday and tithe, we'd have more than enough. So what's our problem? Why are we waning as churches? Why are we growing smaller when we have the greatest news that there ever was or ever will be. And the difference is discipleship. And the audience of Revelation knew their Bible because they were discipled. Now, they weren't discipled at church. We had this idea that if you give us your kids one hour a week, we will transform their lives so that they will behave ideally the rest of the week. One hour of biblical instruction will not train your children to behave ideally the rest of the week. Uh, parents, you have your children more than we have the opportunity to teach them. And, and, it, and, and, and it really hurts me to hear that we'll not be able to have Sunday school. That, that, that really hurts. We'll get back to it. We will adjust. We will carry on. 
but I hurt for the students. I really do. And so we're trying to be good stewards of our time. We're trying to be good stewards of the uh, coronavirus and, and help everybody to stay well. So that's, that's how we're making uh, an adjustment going forward. Um, but we, even though we canceled Sunday school altogether, whose job is it to disciple your child? It's the parents. That's your job. That's what God's called you to do at home. And in the Old Testament scripture, the people of God taught their children through rote memory. Now, I was able to go to Kenya, and I was able to attend the schools that the children attended, and uh, I noticed that they had no books. They had no books. And what few books they had on the shelf were eaten up by the bugs and the, and the, you know, the insects and that sort of thing. And so I thought, how are these kids going to learn if they have no books? How do they learn? And the answer is rote memory. Rote memory. Memorize, 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 memorize. Repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, repeat it until you get it. And when you have it, you have it. That's why when you tell a small child about the three little bears and you leave out one of the, two, one of the three bears, that child is going to correct you because they remember. And so it is, the Word of God was handed down in Bible times through the telling and the retelling and the retelling and the retelling of all the activity of God in the history of Israel. Particularly the times when God's people were wandering in the wilderness and they were wondering too, is God with us or has He abandoned us? And so there comes a time when we need to make up our mind that my job is to disciple somebody else. My job is to disciple somebody else. And uh, I didn't disciple my sons like I should have <clears throat> or could have, uh, but they were discipled by other Christian leaders. Um, my oldest son was discipled by the men of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Louisville. And my youngest son was discipled by the men who he um, served as a seminary student in North Car Carolina. But I'm very pleased to tell you that in the journal entry of his last day on this earth, he kept a journal, a spiritual journal, and made an entry that morning before he died that afternoon. And in that spiritual entry, he, he talked about the scripture uh, that was assigned for that day. And he gave a response. And in that response, he made a commitment to the Lord that he would always serve the Lord. Now, I would ask you today this question as we think about this passage of scripture here, as it talks about the great ordeal, uh, the tribulation, the great tribulation. Now, what's going to make this sermon interesting today is that I want to introduce to you three views of the book of Revelation. One is called post-millennial. Post-millennial people believe that the uh, times of the church 
is going to lead the world to get better and better. And the influence of the church is going to create a new millennium uh, that's going to lead the world to salvation history as God has ordained. And uh, we have seen that just the opposite has happened. So there are not many post-millennials out there. Then there are the predispensational millennialists that believe there's going to be a rapture of the church. The church is going to be taken out of the world. And while the church is absent from the world, there's going to be great tribulation on the earth, and you don't want to be around when that happens. And then there are the amillennialists. Uh, the amillennialists simply believe there's going to be a return of Jesus Christ, and there's going to be a re resurrection of the dead, and there's going to be a judgment. And it's your call as to which judgment you stand before. If you stand before God in the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus Christ, you stand before him as one that's been born again and a child of God. But if you stand before God at the great white throne judgment and your name is not found in the Lamb's book of life, you will be cast into outer darkness and separated from God for all of eternity. And so the amillennialist view of the scriptures is that after the return of Christ, there will be a resurrection of the dead, and then following that will be the great judgment of God. What, but what about today? What about right now? What about my hard times and my difficult times? Where is God active in my today? All these views of Revelation talk about tomorrow and down the road. But what about today? And so the Revelation takes us into a series of sevens. And this is where the book gets complicated. If I could recommend, write down this word, bibleproject.com. Write it down, bibleproject.com. And when you get home, get on your computer and look it up. And uh, these students of the Bible have taken... Uh, most of the books of the Bible and given you a summary of them. And there is a summary of Revelation that, that you can watch and uh, it goes into all the details of the most complicated parts of the book. So I recommend it to you as a way of getting a hold of this complicated book that has seven seals followed by seven trumpets followed by seven tableaus or small stories followed by seven bowls of wrath. And as the seven seals are opened, uh, we begin to see God's unveiling history of the world. And uh, as we see the future, we understand that God is in control of our future and that nothing happens without the Lamb of God, who is Jesus Christ, who has the authority to un uncover or unveil, if you will, uh, and tell us what's going on in the future. Our future is in the hands of Jesus, bottom line. And as the seven seals are opened, and then the seven trumpets, and then the seven tableaus, or small stories, and then the seven bowls of wrath, you begin to get a huge picture of God's unveiling of the history of the world that he is in charge of. And he is bringing history to a conclusion. There is a point to what we're going through today. There is a reason why we are experiencing 
what we are experiencing today. We may not understand it right now. It may not make a whole lot of sense right now. But what God is doing at the end of history is He is bringing an end to evil. He is eradicating evil. And He is overcoming it through the most scandalous way. How do you fight evil? How do you fight evil? Well, you can try to fight evil with powerful government. But Babylon's going to cease to exist in the book of Revelation. You can try to fight evil with uh, great wealth and power. But we find in Revelation that wealth and power and military might does not overcome evil. How does God overcome the evil of this world? Through the sacrifice of the Lamb. Now, who is the lamb in the Bible? The lamb in the Bible is from the tribe of Judah. The lamb in the Bible is the one who's promised to come and sacrifice for the sins of all the world. And Jesus is that lamb that is sacrificed for the sins of the world. Hear this. Evil is overcome. Evil is eradicated. Evil is defeated through Jesus Christ's death on the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross, it was not an accident. It was not a time set aside by Satan to capture Jesus. But rather, it was an appointed time that God would bring defeat to evil on the cross. So that all those who come to Jesus after the cross of Calvary, all those who will believe in Jesus after the resurrection of Christ, will participate, will enjoy the bounty of the re- resurrection of Jesus. And the bounty, the prize of the resurrection of Jesus is eternal life. Let me put it another way. God allows us in this world to experience right and wrong, to do right or to do wrong. And God has created and made this world in such a way that the evil of this world has its own built-in consequences. This is a moral world. That's why God gave to us the Ten Commandments. To help us to understand that there's right and there's wrong. When we live rightly, we enjoy the blessings of God's good earth. When we live wrongly, we suffer the consequences of our deeds. It is built into the world. The world is just made that way. And where people struggle the most is we want eternal life, but we want a lot of this world too. I couldn't help but watch one of the singers on TV this week singing about heaven, singing about glory in heaven, and 
I've got a mansion up there. And everything down here is not worth a hoot because it's all passing away. And as she was singing on her finger was the biggest diamond ring I've ever seen in my life. And she just waved that big diamond ring up there in heaven and sing about how glorious it's going to be in God's holy heaven. I thought, wait a minute. Where do you really stand? What do you really believe about this world? Are you trying to hang on to this world and enjoy all the good benefits of this world? And at the same time, you're not willing to give it up. You're not willing to sacrifice it, but you really want to go to heaven and you want to be with God too. Sometimes, folks, you can't have both. Sometimes you can't have both. And there may come a time in your lifetime when you're called upon to make a sacrifice of this world and everything in this world. Are you ready to give it up? Are you ready to say kudios Caesar or kudios Christos? Christ is Lord. Caesar's not Lord. So my admonishment to you today and my encouragement to you today is to understand that according to the seven seals followed by the seven trumpets, followed by the seven tableaus, followed by the seven bowls of wrath, that you will begin to see that God is in control of history. God is in control of where you're going. God is in control of where you're headed. The only judgment, now hear me, the only judgment that you have to worry about is the one that you have selected. I used to hear the preachers preach about the judgment of God and the great white throne judgment. I go home just scared to death. But I've come to find out in the book of Revelation that the, the, the only wrath of God, the only judgment of God that I need to be concerned about is the one that I've selected. Which one have you selected? The great white throne judgment where you live for yourself and, and you love this world more than you love the Lord. You are living for you and not for others. Or have you selected to follow the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ? Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and come follow me. There's a sacrifice that needs to be made. Not in order to gain our salvation, but to live it out. To enjoy it to revel in it, and to be blessed by it. The passage we're going to read today is taken from those seven seals. And it is that period of time where there is an interlude, there are two interludes in Re Revelation between the sixes and sevens. There's an interlude here that helps us understand why God's doing what he's doing. And in this interlude here, there is a, crowd of people who are following the Lamb of God. They're not trusting in military. They're not trusting in government. They're not trusting in wealth. 
They're not trusting in any earthly power. They are following the Lamb of God. And they are trusting that God will overcome the evil of the world through the death and the resurrection of the Lamb of God. And they stake their life on it. And they believe it. And because they believe it, it has cost them their life. Their prayers are coming up to God. And as their prayers come up to God, they ask the Lord, How long, O Lord, how long until we are vindicated? And the Lord says to these who have died in faith in the Lord, uh, the time is not yet for there to be an end to suffering and peril. It's going to last a little longer. It's going to get a little tougher. We have it so easy in America to follow Jesus. We know not what it is like to give our life for our faith. But I'm here to tell you, that more people die by execution for their faith today than in the history of Christianity. We just don't read about it. We don't hear about it. We don't want to hear about it. And the reason we don't want to hear about it is because Christianity may cost me something. And I love this world so much, I don't know if I can let go. I want to be able to sing about heaven and let my big rain shine on the stage. I'm not ready to let go. So here, the verse says in verse 13, One of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in white robes, who are they, and from where have they come? And I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. These are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. Which leads me to my first point in the message today. God is sovereign and he is engaged in the outcomes of our life. God is involved where you are right now. He understands the hard questions that you're trying to ask. And he's here to say to you, trust in me. Trust in the Lamb of God who was slain for the sin of the world. And I, God, will overcome the evil of this world. I have an answer to the injustice that you may be facing. I have an outcome for your life if you will trust me and believe in me because I have for you a white robe. And that white robe, symbol, and it's washed in the blood of the Lamb. Now imagine that. What color is blood? Red. What color is the robe? White. They're washed in the, in the blood of the Lamb. It is the slain blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us and redeems us. There is no other name given among heaven whereby we must be saved. There's no other way to have our heart and our soul cleansed than with the atoning blood of the Lamb that was slain, Jesus our Savior and our Lord. And so this Thanksgiving I say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for my salvation. Thank you for my hope of eternal life. Thank you, Lord, that I'm going to be able to live with you in your holy heaven forever and ever and ever simply by believing. Not earning but just believing.
These are they who are clothed in white robes. And verse 15, he says, For this reason they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. Who is on, <laughs> who is on the front row of heaven? Who gets to sit on the front row of heaven? Those who've been faithful to Jesus to the very end. Those who've been willing to give their head for, for the gospel. Apostle Paul was willing to do that. And the baton of faith was, was passed on to all others who would carry this baton of faith and be faithful to the end of this race of life. That's the picture in the book of Hebrews. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses as if we were in an Olympic game. And when we were born into this world, somebody handed to us the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we believed, we took a hold of that baton with our hand. And we began to run this race of life every day to serve the Lord. Until it came our time to leave the race. And when it comes our time to leave the race, we pass it on to someone else. The Apostle Paul passed it on to Polycarp. Polycarp was boiled alive for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said to the crowd that took his life, you cannot stop me from denying my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ. Polycarp, Polycarp passed it on to William Tyndall. In the 1500s, William Tyndall translated the Bible from Latin to English so that everybody could read the scriptures and everybody could understand. And that began the Protestant Reformation. William Tyndall was burned at the stake for his faith, for his act of translating the Bible into modern language. The baton is passed on to others who are willing to take a stand for Jesus and not count the cost. Did it cost you something to come to church today? Was it hard for you to get here? God is sovereign, and He is engaged in the outcomes of our life. To overcome and eradicate the evil of this world through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And folks, he calls on us to do the same. We will not overcome evil with power, money, or military might. The evil of this world will only be overcome through the sacrificial love of God's people who are willing to die for what they believe. So God is sovereign, engaged in the outcomes of life. God's judgment can be avoided, but suffering cannot. It's up to you to decide which judgment you will inherit. And number three, we learn that God promises reward for faithful believers. Will you be faithful to Christ? And sometimes I put it this way, and I know you get tired of hearing it. Thank you, Richard. <laughs> 
what will it take for you to quit? What will it take for you to quit? Get your feelings hurt? Well, that didn't stop William Tyndall. Somebody made fun of you because you're a Christian. And you're one of those do better, do gooder people that go to church. Nanny, nanny, boo, boo. <laughs> Somebody made fun of you. Is that why you're going to quit? Are, are you going to quit because you heard something that you disagreed with? And you have a different point of view. What will it take for you to quit? I ask myself that question all the time. And I, I just have to say, Lord, when I read the scriptures and I see these 144,000, not only the 144,000, he said, I saw after these, I looked and behold, a great multitude. Greater than the 144,000. That 144,000 represents 12 tribes of Israel. And in the 12 tribes of Israel, both the Jews and the Gentiles are included in this figure. He said, I saw an innumerable number of people. Innumerable. Which no one could count. They're from every nation. Ethnos, they're from every ethnicity. They're from all tribes and they're from all peoples. The throne and uh, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands and they cried out with a loud voice, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I want to be in that number. <laughs> I, I want to be in that victory train, don't you? I want to be in that herd, don't you? I want to be counted in that group, don't you? And my desire to be in that group is greater than my love for this world. This world is passing away. It's got nothing to offer. But I'm willing to continue preaching Continue serving, continue living for the Lord Jesus Christ and not deny Him. Now, if somebody puts an AK-47 to my head, I hope I can keep saying that. But right now, there's not one here, so I'll just tell you that's what I believe I'm going to do. Uh, but, you know, I'm real strong when, when there's no enemy out there. I'm real strong. But when people make fun of me, I'm not real strong. When people ridicule my faith, I'm not real strong. When people try to take advantage of me, I'm not real strong. When people treat me unjustly, I'm not real strong. I'm very weak. And the Lord says to me, I know your trial. I know what you're going through. You hang in there. You don't quit. You keep serving. You keep believing. You keep praising the Lord. God wants to hear you sing a new song, 
a song of salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb of God. If you'll remain committed to the Lord, would you just stand up? Father, we thank you for the challenge to our faith in this day to remain strong in our faith in Christ Jesus. That our weapons are not the weapons of the world, but our weapons are the weapons of love and sacrifice and faith commitment. Lord, may we continue to be faithful, not just in times when we are in peril, but in times when we're tested to see what we're really made of. And Father, when we go through these experiences, may you find in us a heart of faith and belief and trust. Not a personal wisdom that understands it all, but faith in you that through the Lamb of God, Jesus, our Savior and our Lord, you make all things right. You make all things good. And you give to us what we can't earn. A white robe and a stone with our name on it that says we belong to Jesus and we will reign with him forever and ever. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship service of the Ekron Baptist Church you too can accept the eternal life offered by Jesus Christ. First, admit that you are a sinner. Then believe that Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sins and ask Him to come into your heart and change your life. Then confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you've made this decision today, write to us at the Akron Baptist Church, 2775 Hayesville Road, Akron, Kentucky, 40117. If you're looking for a church home, we invite you to be a part of our growing family with programs and Bible studies for all ages. Join us next Sunday at 11 a.m. for morning worship from the Akron Baptist Church. Until that time, may God bless.